Okay, so this morning, we're going to go a little lighter. You know, the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, AI and kind of the, uh, uh, the blessings and the curses of it and how do we uh, adapt to it or how do we respond to it. So the second topic in our How to Respond series is uh, how to respond to male-female differences. Um, uh, there's a lot of attention being paid today in terms of what is a male and what is a female and kind of all of that, and we can kind of go there if you want to. Um, and the implications obviously are pretty serious. They certainly are from a biblical point of view and probably also, I would say, even from society point of view. But I, I do want to start out with a disclaimer. I am not a biologist, okay? I just wanted you to know that I got C's in biology, so um, I'm not going to be presenting to you information that would be uh, verifiably scientific, but I do have some observations over many years and then having uh, sort of taught some of this stuff in terms of uh, mostly in marriage and pre-marriage kinds of things. But this is actually adapted from a, a talk that I did. God, when was that? A, was that a month ago in LWML where we did the, uh, uh, I, we were asking the question, why do men do what they do? That was the uh, topic. Uh, and so this is adapted from that. Now, I want to say right off the bat, we didn't answer that question. Why do men do what they do? Because there is no answer. And so I spent an hour and a half explaining why there is no answer. So I'm just letting you know right now there is no answer and no one knows why. Uh, but certainly we do do what we do. So, okay, so you ready to get into it for today? All right, so our opening discussion, there's much confusion recently being promoted in intellectual circles regarding the differences between males and females. Are those differences primarily biological? Is it a matter of nature versus nurture? Are there real questions or merely those being posed by people who seek to undermine the biblical basis of male or female? And I will assure you that there are people who are seeking to undermine the biblical basis of, uh, of male-female. Differences between the sexes have always existed from the beginning, even before sin entered the world. And since sin is part of human nature and has caused a broken world, Christians live and work in those differences as we shall see. Now, one of the things that we need to mention is that the Bible does say he created them male and female. But again, that was prior to sin coming into the world. And so since sin is part of the world and we are part of it, there are some anomalies that occur in terms of when people are born, are they born with male genitalia, female? There actually are some that are born with both, where there is a kind of a confusion of, uh, of chromosomes. And so what those folks, it's a small, small percentage, but those folks are referred to as intersex. And so I looked up some, uh, some data on that and that at least for in 2022, that's when the last count, I think, was that they, the range is from 0.05% to 1.7% are people that are actually born with a true uh, 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 physiological confusion in terms of are they male or female. And so my understanding is, is that then when those individuals are born, then a doctor together with, or a, a team of doctors together with the parents, they make some determination in terms of which way that they're going to go, either male or female. But there is a real confusion. It's just a tiny percentage. And it's not to say that just because there's a tiny percentage that that somehow discounts the viability of that person or the, the value of that person. It's not to say that. But when you look at everything in the media today, the media would suggest that it's like 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the population that is uh, impacted by this. Um, also, uh, there is uh, some other thing. So we hear a lot about uh, trans people. Um, and so, again, the current uh, data is that 5 percent of the population identifies as trans people. But in that 5% is not necessarily people who are born as intersex. 
So a lot of what we're seeing now is, uh, and people are researching this, is they're calling it a social contagion. And what social, that almost sounds viral, doesn't it? Like there's a, some so, sort of social connection going on. But what they've noticed is, is the high number of people like in their under 20, the people that are under 20, they're very socially networked together and that the social contagion side of it is, is that if you have confusion about your identity, you don't quite feel like you fit anywhere, that you can go on uh, social media and you can find your group, you can find your people, so to speak. And that the social contagion idea is, is that the peer group of people on social media that also identify that way would sort of influence you if you were thinking maybe I'm a trans person, okay? So I just kind of throw that out there that again, 5% of people identify as trans people. This is like in the US. Um, I think what is probably most troubling if you think about it from a troubling point of view is that most people under, I say most people, many people under 30, maybe even under 20, think it's okay. And they think all the rest of us should think it's okay. And that's where the societal as well as um, religious collision is, okay? Because if we teach that male-female, you, you are the way God created you as male-female, then it's a choice to go uh, a different gender. And uh, that puts us at odds with, uh, with the world around us. And, and again, because um, the world around us said that, says that if you love people, then you should embrace them. And that includes embracing the choices that they're making. Um, that puts us at odds. So you can see where um, the, ch the conservative Christian church, maybe we could say conservative Lutheran church, because there's also liberal Lutheran churches, um, have sort of taken a stand on that and said, nope, not going there. And so then that immediately puts a target on our backs in terms of how society feels about us and maybe others as well. Okay, does that make sense? I don't know, do you have any questions about that? I'm, I'm not claiming to have all the answers there, but um, it certainly is a pertinent thing that we need to be conscious of these days. Yeah. Some of that stuff's changing now. Right, right. Yeah, so let not today. I mean, we may sort of shoot past it a little bit, but um, I am preparing a uh, how to respond to lesson or maybe two on just where is this all coming from? Like, is this like coming out of the blue? Like, where's this come from? And the answer is no. It actually ha is part of a, 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 a heresy that goes all the way back to the early church. And, and it, it's maybe a little bit more decorated today because we have different nuances of it. But there is a definite uh, anti-biblical, anti-Christian, almost like Book of Revelation stuff, anti-Christ anti kind of thing that's going on. And so medical, uh, a lot of medical schools have bought into it. Um, a lot of uh, psychological schools have bought into it. And there is a real push to the idea that if you don't embrace this, you don't get to be a doctor. If you don't embrace this, you don't get to be a counselor. If you don't embrace this, you don't get to be a psychologist. And, and it's getting harder and harder to walk the line. You know, I, many of you know I'm a licensed counselor. And so I walk that line all the time, okay? But I assure you that line is getting thinner. It's getting thinner because it's getting harder and harder to be a conservative Lutheran Christian person who practices um, in the in the world of counseling, and so a lot of our uh, people that I know who are actually going through counseling school are walking very gingerly, because if you're a conservative Christian or conservative Lutheran in our case, you have to be very careful about how you articulate your faith and what the uh, implications of your faith are, and sometimes you feel frankly kind of hypocritical because it's like. Well, on the one hand, you believe this, but on the other hand, you're having to do that. And, and you got to be kind of comfortable with that, or you shouldn't get into the field these days. Okay? All right. Yeah, uh, Kim? Uh, in my hospitals that I work at, you have um, 
on your emission form. Yeah, like on the emission form. Yeah. They have to break it down, not only what is your sex type, yeah. but how do you identify? How do you identify? That's right. Yeah. So they do try to separate out biological sex from how you identify, which just you know this just makes my brain explode. I can't, I can't, I can't move past that. So I'm still trying to work that through myself. Yeah, Armin. Well, are you not allowed to say, and, and I think you're sort of like this. Say, I, I have a psychological counselor and I'm a Lutheran and I identify as a conservative Christian. And if you want that counseling, that's why I counsel. Can you not be a counselor and, and qualify that? Way? Well, first of all, we're in the South and nobody knows what a Lutheran is, so that's the first thing. <laughs> then I have to spend an hour explaining why we're not Baptist. You know, I mean, so. So there is that part of it. And if we were up in like Minnesota or, you know, Iowa, I'd be no sweat. Okay. Um, generally, when people come see me, whether it's here or, or over in Fort Worth, they know I'm, they already know I'm a pastor. Generally, they do. Okay. But I have to keep the two separate because the world of pastoring also involves um, evangelizing people and leading them to Jesus. You can't do that when you're counseling. So you have, I have to separate the two. Okay. But the, the depth of the immersion of the scriptures in my life and then in my pastoral ministry of over 40 years is just in me, okay? So I always have to ask, I have to ask permission of people. It, 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 do you, are you comfortable with the idea that we could talk about spiritual stuff? And if people say, yeah, well, then we'll, we'll, we'll go for it. But if they say no or if they are kind of ambivalent toward it, then I can't go there. Um, it's difficult, though, being a, in a conservative church body like LCMS that has come out publicly against many of these things, right? That's the difficulty, is that if you're affiliated with that or you're already in it, like I am, and then I'm in it professionally as a pastor, um, I kind of wait for that day, you know, when the opportunity is right in front of my eyes. And what am I going to do? And I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, so it's just is uh is one of those sort of um, ethical dilemmas that you have to navigate, and it's I'm what I'm telling you is that it's harder to navigate that these days. Yeah, it's very difficult, but you know I'm pretty committed to doing what I do. So somebody else had their hand up. Yeah, I think another interesting point in this whole dilemma is scientifically there may actually be something behind this uptick because of the levels of testosterone in young men yeah. that we've seen drop drastically in the last 20 years. Right. And it continues to drop, mm -hmm. whether it's for BMI, whether it's for toxins in the environment that are right. causing this. Right. But definitely the testosterone levels mm -hmm. in men, and then I'm sure there's some difference in estrogen and other levels in women too. Yeah. But I mean, if things are playing with the chemistry somehow, right. how does that affect their brain overall? Yeah, see, and then it might cause you to question who you are. You know, we just used to question who we were when we hit 40. Now we have people questioning who they are at age five. And so, you know, I have my own opinion about that in terms of what you do with that. Um, this whole idea of gender-affirming care, and which is like the opposite of what it is in my view. But... but um, at what point in a person's life do they do what would we say it's okay for you to make your own decision as opposed to uh, somebody else making that decision and age 10 or 5 or younger I'm thinking nah you know so it just is it's a difficult thing right now and because it is as one of my friends pointed out a long time ago and I love this uh, quote I used it last Sunday in the sermon it's a great time to be the church it's a great time to be the church, you know, but just wear the armor of God because you're going to take hits from uh, from left and right. Okay, well, let's get into this a little bit in terms of male-female differences. Um, and so I uh, sort of present to you from Genesis 2, uh, kind of from the beginning. So here's here here's we go from the beginning. So then the Lord God, verse 7 of chapter 2, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So men are made of dirt. 
Now, dirt is very complex. Would we not say that, Ron? Dirt is complex, you know? You think about dirt, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of dirts, right? But basically, we're talking about God's Spirit being added to dirt, and there you have men. We should probably don't have to say any more about why do men do what they do, all right? So let's see what happens. So, so then, to continue... The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, eat from it, you will certainly die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So so the idea of dirt, a dirt brain, if I'm going to refer to a dirt brain, is that there is purpose that men have, right? Men have purpose. And that is, at least from the beginning, is to work and to take care of what God has provided. So there is an element of stewardship. There's an element of of provision. There's an element of taking care of things uh, as God has sort of put that into us. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that is that the uh, significance, and and I'm not trying to say it's not significant for women, but the significance of having meaningful work is huge for men. And how you know that is when men retire, they have to find something else meaningful and purposeful to do or their life expectancy goes down. And so that's one of the things that we get concerned about. Um, This is particularly true for army generals. Think about it. Army generals. What do army generals do most of the time when they get to be that upper echelon of being a general? They, they're commanding. There's a commanding going on there. Well, what happens when he retires? Or she, well, he, and we're talking about he. So what happens when he retires? <laughs> so he goes from giving orders to following orders, and that is not an easy transition, let me tell you. All right. So again, this is just kind of one of those things that work and provision, providing, protecting, all that kind of stuff is tied in with uh, with what men do. All right, and then the other part is God says you're free to eat, but you can't eat of the one thing. So it tells you that there is freedom there for him, but there's also boundaries. There's And the boundaries are set by God. It's not set by him. Otherwise, he could do anything that he wanted to do. And so then he says it's not good for the man to be alone. Why not? I mean, I know he says it, but but why is that actually true? Why is it that uh, men aren't good alone? They don't take care of themselves. <laughs> well, that may be one of the answers. No, it actually probably is true that if you didn't have somebody else in your life inspiring you, you know, why would you pick up after yourself? Well, like when my mother passed away, yeah, and my dad was alone. Yeah, he didn't take care of himself. No. Didn't have anybody there to push him or remind him or remind him. Yes, yes. Yeah, because you know, in the male brain, we think to ourselves, Why should I make the bed when I know I'm going to be in it the next night? <laughs> I mean, there is a logic to that, of course. Yeah, you had your hand up. That, oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. So it's also a proven fact that single men don't live as long. So when a guy loses his wife, either through divorce or death, he probably is going to remarry within a year or die. Okay? That's that's sort of statistical fact. All right? So you know the old saying, men remarry and women, they remodel. You know, that's... <laughs> you hadn't heard that before? Oh, man. I think that's, I think it's hilarious, but it is true. Holy mackerel. Yeah, so save your money for that remodeling that needs to happen. The other thing that is, it, it, it is what it is. When I go to an assisted living place or even nursing home, but for sure assisted living, the, the number of women that are there way outweighs the number of men. And so the men can have any pick of girlfriend that he wants because, yeah, it's really amazing. And he should run for cover, actually. Uh, and so helper... The word helper here that's used in Genesis is one who walks alongside with strength. With strength. So we, you know, somehow we get this idea that the woman is the weaker sex and all that kind of stuff. Not true. It, it's that 
she's a helper. At least that's the way it's pre uh, presented here. Is a helper who walks alongside. Okay, so there is a a companionship aspect to it, an accompaniment to it, right? And then, of course, it sort of suggests the suitable word suggests an alignment with each other. Because you can walk alongside somebody and be punching them out like this the whole time. Then there's not an alignment, all right? So that's, that's the idea. All right, so now in verse 19, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. So we have the dirt guy, the guy made of dirt, and then we have the woman made of stem cells. So that explains it all right there. But those stem cells came from the guy made of dirt, so I'm not sure we're that much. <laughs> Boy, that is daring for you to say that. Here I'm trying to explain the superiority of women and the complexity of women and the simplicity of men. Right. That'd be kind of like saying we're all vegetarians because cows eat grass, we eat cattle. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. This is. I knew this was going to happen. As soon as we get out of AI, all of a sudden, no wonder AI is going to take over the world because look how dumb we are in terms of our stuff. All right. So again, complexity complexity and simplicity go together, okay? So when we talk about differences between people with brains that were created out of dirt and those that were created out of stem cells, that's kind of what my picture up on the, on the board is going to try to do. But notice I put 80%, 20% by it. The reason I do that is because when we look at these differences between the two sexes, there actually are 20% of people for whom it's switched, okay? It doesn't mean that they're male or female. That, it's not that part. But it's the way that their brains are function and the way that their brains work actually, actually has more of the other side than it would the uh, sort of percentage that they're in. Does that make sense for me to say it that way? Yeah, and so it's, it's a little bit of a disclaimer there. But you'll notice as we go through this, some of you will say, Oh, wait a minute, that's me, and I'm over here on the dirt brain side. <laughs> now, you're not going to admit it publicly, I know, but you'll be thinking that to yourself. And that's why I say that there is some interchangeability, all right? But it kind of runs 80-20 that way. Okay, so um, what I have up on the board is if you were to take off the backside of your skull and look at the way your brain is put together, this is what it would be. So if these are two people, they're facing that way, right? They're facing away from us, and we're looking at how their brains are put together. This is very scientific. Um, this is where I got a C in biology. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is how it works. All right, so, so we'll explain it, and then I'll, I'll reference the, uh, the artwork up on the, uh, up on the board. All right, so let uh, let's start with, we'll just kind of go from, from left to right in terms of the comparison of the two. All right, so talking here about the dirt-created brain is that it's designed for monotasking, right? In other words, that brain operates off of boxes, all right? So if you can think of boxes in the brain, this is kind of some of the structural differences between uh, male and female brains, is that we have compartments, and if you can think of the compartment as a file cabinet, that is a very helpful way to think in terms of why it is hard for a dirt brain person to shift gears in the middle of a thought or the middle of an activity. Whereas the person over here who doesn't have as many boxes and the connectors are much more, um, that person can easily shift gears because that person is multitasking all the time. We can only kind of, we, I say me and the dirt people, we can only think of one thing at a time. And so this is very hard to do. So you're in the middle of a project and you're doing something and then somebody comes along and says, hey, what about that? And you have to stop what you're doing 
and you have to take the thing that you're thinking about and you put it in the file folder and you put the file folder in the drawer and then you put the drawer in the and shut it and then you say I'm now ready to listen to what you're saying see it's this is uh, does anybody resonate does this resonate with anybody yeah yeah and so so it's it the speed at which this person can shift gears and multitask is way more than what this person could do. And you can see where it might be frustrating for this person to be kind of going like this, waiting, waiting, waiting for this person to, to be able to shift gears, right? And so that's, again, one of those differences. These are, these are, it's not something that person's doing on purpose. It's literally what takes the, the, uh, uh, the way the brain works in order to make that function well. Okay. Now, one of the things about compartmentalizing is that it's easy to rem to remember where stuff is. It's also easy to forget which file drawer you put it in, and then which closet it was located in. And so that's why we we don't do alone very well because we don't remember stuff. Whereas this person over here remembers everything, right? And can say, "Oh yeah, yeah. Here's where it's located. You can go find it. Find it there." Okay, anybody in disagreement so far with the... I don't know if you're... Yeah. I'll try to say something more intelligent. I'll say there's, there's uh, probably a, a statistic out there. I think that's why we're seeing a, a huge growth of women on businesses and management, upper level management by women. Yeah. Yeah, because you would have to... I mean, there is a sort of parental kind of side to that in the sense of having to kind of attend to multiple things at one time. Um, Whereas it's, you know, maybe more men are corporate in the sense that you have, you know, you have the org chart that has all the boxes and as long as the box. Yeah, and engineering would be maybe perhaps another field where a sort of box brain is a little bit um, uh, easier to uh, manifest. But more and more women are getting into engineering as well. Um, and uh, that brings its own sort of gifts and benefits to it as well. Yeah, Madeline. From a woman's point of view, and yes. from an economist's point of view, uh, there's a book that would give this, rather than the little boxes and the wavy lines, uh -huh. men are ravioli, women are spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book, I just read it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I've, I've heard the spaghetti part, but I never had heard the ravioli part. So, but that makes sense. It's a pouch. It's a little pouch, a little package. Yes. Sealed. Right. Yeah. And spongy soft and edible. I'm getting hungry now, so that's good. But again, you're getting the difference. See, you're getting the difference because, because it's, it, and yet it's not to say that this over here is disorganized. It's very organized. It's just organized in a way that makes absolutely no sense to this one over here, right? And then this one over here is organized in such a way that's highly frustrating for this one over here. So just as you can see in some sense that God's humor is at work here in terms of putting stem cell people with dirt people. And, you know, okay. Now, the one thing that men can do or brain uh, the, where you can do two things at one time is we can drink beverage and watch, foot, watch football at the same time. So there are some activities that we combine the boxes with, okay? But generally, as a rule... It's very difficult to do uh, do two things at one time. Okay, the second one is uh, dirt brains can shut down and stop thinking and still be alive. <laughs> and literally, we can think of nothing because we have a nothing box. And occasionally, maybe you know this, is that, you know, after a long day, a long week, or something like that in between sermons and churches and stuff, is that you just go into your nothing box, right? And someone will say, what are you thinking about? And you'll say, what? Nothing. Nothing. And they won't believe you, right? Because this brain over here doesn't have a nothing box. It has a something box. And because there's a something box, there's always something in it, right? But the nothing box truly has nothing in it. Now, I'm speaking truth here. I know you're looking at me like, no, that can't be. But that's is very true. Can, right? Are we? Yeah, see, verification right there. Okay, all right. So where we can shut down and stop thinking, 
the uh, stem cell brain cannot stop thinking. It can't. Now, the reason why is structural. And that is, is that, see those dotted lines there? So th this is the, the, the band that uh, separates the left brain from the right brain. It's called the corpus callosum. And in, in men, the cor corpus callosum is very thin, and it has, like, uh, relatively speaking, not that many connectors. So the connectors that work do go to each box, but they don't necessarily cross over from left to right. Now, again, that's kind of simplified because obviously they do. But the difference is over here is that the corpus callosum is very thick and very wide, and there is a kajillion <laughs> connectors between the two. And because of that, it's constant thinking, 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 thinking. Now, you can imagine the benefit of that would be what? If you're a multitasker and you're responsible, let's say you have a lot of kids in your family or a lot of responsibilities, you, you're juggling things all the time, correct? Yeah. And so that would mean that you would need to be able to be aware in, uh, over here and aware over here, and it goes back and forth, all right? What's the downside of that? Can't fall asleep. Can't, can't unwind. Can't not think about something that's really bothering you, whereas we can. See, and then if we don't think about it enough, we forget it even existed. <laughs> now, what happens relationally when that happens? What happens to the relationship between the two people when one person is cannot get away from that thought and the other person goes, what thought? One wants to talk it out discuss and the other one wants to shut down. Oh, that leads to one of these down here. It sure does. Let's skip down a little ways here. Uh, is it the next? Oh, there it is right there. Okay, yes. Often shut down when overwhelmed by many words delivered with intensity. Okay? So you can see where intensity is going to cause a short circuitry here, right? And so very often what happens is this brain literally shuts down. Now, the person is still living, so it's not like you have to be fearful that they died or something, but it's just that it's shut down. Now, what if sometimes before it shuts down, this individual will leave the room? But if he can't leave the room, then his brain will. That's what will happen. And, and the problem is, see, that that's received as you don't care. It's received as you're not there with me. Oh, there you go, running away from it. That's not what it is. It's brain shut down. So some of this, and I'll get to this at the, on the last page, is that you do have to uh, sort of accommodate how you present stuff to the way that the other person's brain works. Because if you don't, you'll be continually hurt. You'll be con your feelings will get hurt. You'll, you'll say, oh, you don't care. And it's not that. It's just the intensity of something or the volume of something shuts that brain down. Okay, now granted... We can train ourselves to get better at that. We can, and that's, there is training available for that. Okay, we can do that. But the fundamental difference there is that the box brain, those boxes can only hold so much. And when there is a high intensity or urgency or, or emotion coming at us, um, that's really hard. Or even abruptness, um, that, one is, that one's hard to overcome. Okay, so it's just kind of be thinking about that. Um, so the stem cell brain was created for connecting through talking uh, with emotion and intensity is included. So that brain needs to talk it out. That brain is alive talking it out, right? But you can see again God's humor is that what happens is this one, the need this one has can easily overwhelm this one, okay? So it just is uh, part of kind of how we're put together, all right? Uh, dirt brain, uh, dirt-created brains take up to 30 minutes to decompress in order to shift into engagement mode. In other words, if, when you get home from work and the person that you're with is dying to tell you everything, okay, and needs to tell you everything, right, um, you probably need 30 minutes to decompress. Now, again, that might be true for some for women and men, I don't know. But for sure, men need 30, that 30 minutes. And then once that 30 minutes is over with, you can re-engage. 
Whereas the other brain, it's instant re-engagement. So it's the, the engagement is the soother. Whereas for this brain, the disengagement is the soother. Okay, make sense? Are we having fun yet? Yes. All right. All right, dirt brain, uh, dirt created brains operate with internal radar and stem cell brains operate with internal radar and sonar. So what's the difference? What does radar tell you? What's on the surface? Something's coming, something's moving away. That's what radar tells you. And for most, uh, most dirt brain people, the way that they know something is coming is it's right there in front of their face. That's how radar works. Now, what does sonar tell you? What's under the surface? Okay. So many of you uh, ladies here probably would relate to this. You sense that something's not right, right? And you talk to the guy and he goes, oh, yeah, everything's great. You know, that's because the radar's not in front of our face, right? But you sense that something's not quite right, but you don't know what it is. But what you sense is the movement away or the movement toward. And what disturbs the internal sense that you have is that when there's a moving away in the relationship, we're just not talking to each other like we used to. We just seem to be drifting apart. We just seem to, and then fill in the blank. Women pick up on that, and men are totally clueless about it. Okay, Women can pick up on when... Uh, when other women are moving a little bit too close to their husbands and and the husband is like, what, what? Okay, women pick up on that stuff, see? And so again, this is where it is not good for men to be alone. We need the wisdom of that and we need to listen to that because women pick up on stuff that with sonar that radar doesn't uh, identify, okay? Uh, next one is dirt brains believe that crying means they did something wrong. And for uh, stem cell brains, they believe that crying is a gift. It's a wonderful thing. Okay. So uh, have you ever gotten out of a ticket by crying? I haven't. I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't go there, right? Yeah, but I've heard stories. And my wife actually did that one time. And it worked, and I was very jealous. Okay. But that's what part of what that is. Now, the other part of it is, is that men's ears cannot tell the difference between the tone of crying to know if it's a happy crying, sad crying, mad crying, hungry crying, whatever it might be. And that goes all the way back to when you have babies. Okay, So mothers uh, of infants can tell from a baby crying what the need of the baby is. And the husband or the father just says, here, take him. Because we don't know. We don't know. We can't tell right? We probably do a little sniff test. We might do that. And that might tell, that might reveal something, right? But that's a different sense. See, that's not the hearing sense. That's the olfactory sense, right? Okay, the next one, uh, dirt brains show compassion by fixing, explaining, advising, and solving the problem. Stem cell brains resent being fixed, listening to mansplaining, unsolicited advice and his playing the devil's advocate. Is this true? You want to say more about that? I don't think so. I'm not touching it. Yeah, that's, but this is true. So if you as a dirt brain person have something to say, you have wisdom to share, you have a little want to like add your two bits to it. All right. How do you do that? Very carefully, yeah. How do you do it? Yeah, Sharon. That's it. You listen first. And then you ask if it's okay if you just share what your thoughts are. And if they say no, then okay. <laughs> Fine. See if, I, see if I ever listen to you ever again, right? Okay. But that's the deal. I mean, again, it's sort of the unsolicited part is what adds to this feeling that you know, you what you think I can't solve my own problems or what you think I'm you're way up here and I'm way down there. I mean, that's that's kind of been the battle of the sexes for, for a long time. So that's kind of what we coach is is listen, listen well. Um, you can ask questions and that kind of thing. But, you know, basically not until somebody says, yeah, it's OK if you tell me, then I will. The uh, exception to that is sermons on Sunday morning. So you're getting it whether you want it or not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Uh, 
Uh, dirt brains don't ask for directions ever, and uh, stem cells do, right? Um, dirt brains feel shame by public criticism in front of peers. It's particularly true for adolescent boys, right? Coaching is an important thing. Uh, stem cell brains often will feel abandoned by a quiet man who won't share his feelings or thoughts. There's a lot of us that are internal thinkers. We're internal processors. And we have to remember that the longer we stay inside the cave or the turtle shell, whichever is the uh, metaphor that works for you, the longer we do that, the more that we are not engaging with the person who needs to hear what we think or what we feel. Okay? So that's a little bit of kind of what that, what that is talking about. Eye contact. Um, dirt brains, eye contact, prolonged eye contact, triggers discomfort. Whereas eye contact for stem cell brains shows interest or caring. So if you ask a guy or a kid, like a boy kid, why did he do something? What's the answer you're going to get? Now, is he dodging it or does he truly not know? He doesn't know. Better to say it is he doesn't know where the answer to that question is. So, where will he look for the answer to that question? Up there. <laughs> now, when he's looking up there, where is he looking? And it could be for heavenly inspiration. It could be God answer this for me. I'm looking for that. But no, what? Where is he looking? This sphere of the brain. He's looking in his brain. That's where he's looking. And the answer is up there somewhere. He's just trying to identify the access point to that answer. Now, the problem is when he looks up this way, how is that received by the other person? You don't care. What else? It's disrespect. If you're in school and your teacher says, why did you do that? And you do like this, oh, you're going to the office. Right? Because that's seen as disrespect. You took eye contact, look at me when you answer that. Look at me. Right? And you can't. If I'm looking at you and I'm anxious already, the anxiety inside of me is turning off my access to that answer. I can't get it. Right? And then if you're looking at me with teacher eyes, which I know some of you do, um, that's like going straight through me and I can't handle it. My brain will shut down. And it all happens in one fifteen thousandth of a second, right? So there is something to be said for that idea that as we understand these differences, maybe we don't take it quite so personally. And maybe we say, okay, maybe I need to back up a little bit and do like this, right? There are some people, particularly those on the spectrum, that you can't hardly look at at all in terms of eye contact because the the eye contact itself creates such a discombobulation in the brain that they can't function. They can't do it. So you have to really, if you know that, you have to just kind of mostly look down and occasionally look up. Okay? So it's pretty uh, pretty profound stuff. And then last one, stress soothe for the uh, dirt brain is by distancing and distracting. So the phone is a great distractor. TV is a great distractor. And simply staring off into space... <laughs> going into the nothing box is also a great distractor, right? But the flip side for the stem cell brain is emotional bonds soothe stress. So attentiveness and focus and uninterrupted listening. So can you imagine how this would go if one is seeking to be soothed by grabbing his phone? How, how well does that go over nowadays when when uh, it's not just it's not just males anymore it's kind of females too but when people grab your their phone and you're in the middle of having some you know meaningful conversation what what do you think that's like what do you think it's like for me to be preaching and somebody's doing their phone in the back row or even the front row of the church what do you think that's like see i need for you to be a little bit more sensitive to that and those of you that are doing it know who i am talking about especially up in the balcony you ever notice in the balcony, people think nobody can see them? <laughs> people are like this. They are not praying, I assure you. Okay, so again, but see, some of it's the tension of the moment, isn't it? The tension of the moment. Um, in the seventh or eighth inning of Ranger games, I'm grabbing my phone. That's just, you know, that's just how it's working. But again, it's a tension release thing not intended to be a uh, 
an insult to that person. Okay, does that make sense? So there, there are basic differences that we, part of it is understanding those differences, right? And appreciating those differences and realizing that God puts us together. He puts us together in ways that are uh, both uh, uh, fulfilling and, uh, and mysterious. There's also some differences in communication styles, painters and pointers. We probably have talked about this a little bit. Painters, I know I'm a painter, for example. So painters tell the whole story, start to finish. They use lots of words, lots of descriptions. Adjectives and adverbs are their favorite fillers, right? And we'll add words for effect. Okay, so that's kind of how I do it. And part of the deal with a painter is we don't always know what our point is. <laughs> We're hoping to discover it, you know, because we can go on and on and we keep searching for what is it I'm trying to say? What am I trying to say? So we're verbal and expressive, okay? Now, pointers, they want to know what the point is quickly, okay? And so the problem is, is that once they f figure out what the point is or what they think it is, they stop listening. And so then the point, the painter instinctively knows when someone's not listening and what do they do then? Paint even more. Because we think if you're not getting the point, then I'm really going to fill you up with lots of painting because then I know that you'll listen to me. And so pointers sometimes will get overwhelmed and they will shut down due to the volume of information and the means by which that information is coming, intensity included. Okay, does that make sense? So again, see, a lot of these differences are built into us. It's kind of wired into you. It's not like you're doing it on purpose just to make life miserable for somebody else. It is a truly a difference. Okay, so why we need each other and how to respond. Good biblical thing. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So God has put us together right? And we're not just talking about, you know, marriage and family, but we're talking about the, the whole body of Christ. We're talking about like all of us here, right? So, so what were some, some ways to, to do, to do this? Uh, you can practice what I call a one down posture. One down does not mean that you have lower self-esteem than the other person. It's not that. In fact, what it is, is by intention, you are seeking not to do this with somebody else, but you're rather seeking to this. Um, the metaphor I use is Columbo. So I think Columbo. So you know what I'm talking about when I say Columbo? What's the TV show? The TV show Columbo? Peter Falk played, uh, yeah, go to the History Channel. You'll see it. It's great. Um, it, he, he always in the show always got his man, but he was the most bumbling fool there ever was in terms of doing it. And basically what he did was he annoyed the person to death, and then finally they said, I did it, I did it, get, get away from me. Okay, that's, my, uh, that's my, my theory there, my metaphor. All right, so you listen curiously, that's what you do, right? Not judgmentally, we talked about this last time, it's you're listening from the point of view of saying to yourself, there's something that I'm trying to connect with you on, okay? You adapt your communication style to the listener's needs rather than taking the view that says, hey, you knew how I was when we married, and so tough, right? You don't do that. You, you adapt to the listener's needs. You cultivate a climate of appreciation. We've talked about this before a little bit. Three praises, two encouragements, one critique. Most of us flip it, right? Three critiques and maybe a couple of praises and forget encouragement. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we do it. And that's not a good way to do it. This is, this is a better way to do it. So there I am telling you what to do. All right? Dial back the intensity. That would actually help. Okay? And then clarify something before acting on something that's said. And one way to do that is to say, I hear you saying this. Is that what you meant? Because a lot of times people say stuff, but that isn't what they meant. But if we act on what we hear, then we're jumping to some conclusion that maybe isn't true. Okay? And then there's some resources here that I uh, pr provided for you. These are ones that I use, and maybe you have others. You know, Madeline has the uh, uh, the, the uh, um, Italian cookbook that she's reading. So anyway, if you have some other ones, that'd be great. Okay, kind of fun, kind of fun today. A um, little uh, kind of a little bit more light, but again, major uh, major implications of uh, society trying to say that. Uh, Men are women, and women are men, and God doesn't have anything to do with it. And we would say, uh-uh. We would say, uh-uh. 
that, uh, you know, God knew what he's doing, he's putting us together, but, but recognize sin in the world has created some real anomalies, and then just uh, environment, we don't know. We, there's a lot that we don't know and that we're trying to discover, but, but science doesn't get the last word with us. It is an important word, right? But uh, we, our truth, we, we go back to the scriptures for our truth, and that's where our foundation is. And we're not going to be apologetic about that, even if even if we take some hits. Okay, all right. Let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your Word speaks to us about our differences. Oh my Lord, are there ever differences between us? And yet we are all together in in families, in relationships, and most significantly in the body of Christ. So help us, Lord, uh, to to uh, take that view. That as we love you and we follow you, we also love one another and love our neighbors as ourselves, given all those differences. So help us be patient with each other. Help us to be considerate, put the best construction on things, uh, and help us really grow and improve our relationships with each other, given all of these, uh, all these differences. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray those things in Jesus' name.